the idea of sending in something that I think is perfect is no longer an idea for me. I don't know why we as actors think that anyone, a director, a casting director, a producer, is looking for something we think is perfect. Welcome to this week's episode of Dear Actor Podcast. I am your host, Sage May. Our guest this week is an absolute star. He has been in seven Broadway shows and actually had to stop his most recent tour of Les Mis because of COVID. He's incredibly funny and often plays the comedic relief. You can also find him in Grey's Anatomy, Black Monday, Community, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Parks and Rec, and so many more. He also has his own podcast called Baby Mouth in which he tries food he's never eaten before with his sick actor friend and his mother. Check it out. It is so much fun. I've linked it in the description for you. Literally every single word of this episode is life-changing advice. I cannot wait for you to meet him. Please welcome Jimmy Smagula. Hi, Jimmy. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me on. I'm so happy to be here and talk to you today. Of course. And Jimmy's also a fellow podcaster, so... We're yes. gonna we're gonna be on a roll today. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, how's it been for you as an actor during COVID? Um, that's such a great question, and you know, for me, it's been up and down. Some of it has been good. I like doing self tapes. I enjoy having control over what I send in. Um, I'm not somebody who will work on a self tape for four hours. I give myself a limit and a time and I don't drive myself crazy. And, uh, you know, I'm old enough and experienced enough now that it's like, I feel like I can get it in two or three takes um, and watch them. But I like to be in control of that. So that's been a plus. And also with commercials, which I auditioned for a bit, it's really nice because I live in East Los Angeles, kind of. I live in Highland Park. So most of the commercial auditions are in Santa Monica, which is very far from here. So to have to drive to Santa Monica to eat a hamburger or say two words, <laughs> although it's wonderful to be considered, I really enjoy just going into my little uh, self-tape area that I've set up with lights and a background and everything and do the audition from there. That has been great. But... You know, the downside of it is that I was on the national tour of Les Mis when COVID hit and the show is closed. The tour has been closed. So I'm not going back to work on that, which is a bummer. I didn't get to say goodbye to everybody. There's no closure. I've done a million shows in my life. That's the only show that I've ever done that just was, whoop, it was gone. It was gone in a flash. So that's actually been really difficult um, for all of us as a cast and we chat and talk and see each other, but that's been uh, more difficult than I have had experiences in the past with shows closing because we didn't get to have closure. So, you know, and now that I'm vaccinated and I've traveled to New York and back and saw family and friends and, you know, it feels so much better now, but for a long time, it was it was really rough, very, very rough. And I think it's um, good for people to be honest and say, you know what? I had a really rough time during COVID. I'm coming out of it now, but for a long time, it was not, it was not good. It was not happy. It was, it was terrible. 
It was pretty terrible. Totally. No, I agree. I feel like it's like a big yin yang where it's like with the bad, there's like good because you don't have to go anywhere to self tape. I mean, you can just self tape in your own house, but (laughs) it's also like can be so terrible. And it's really, it can be rough. I mean, how do you feel? I said, are you in New York City right now? Yeah, I'm in New York and I've loved not having to leave my house to casting and go on auditions. That's great. But unlike you, I am not the biggest fan of taping. So I do miss being in the room. Do you feel like you are giving yourself too much time and you're too critical of yourself? And, oh, I missed that beat or I look like this or there's sweat on my... Absolutely, yes. (laughs) You know, it's funny because I'm older now. I mean, I'm, I'm in my 40s. And the idea of sending in something that I think is perfect is no longer an idea for me. I don't know why we as actors think that anyone, a director, a casting director, a producer, is looking for something per what we think is perfect. Oh, it has to be perfect and shiny and glossy and pre-planned. But I think a lot of times they're looking for exactly the opposite of that. Like, you know, I had a wonderful acting teacher in New York named Bob Krakauer, who used to say, work on your material, work on your material, memorize, be word perfect, and then pray for mistakes. (laughs) Because mistakes are when real life happens, when real real life moments happen for you as an actor, which is, guess what? What people are looking for. That's what we like to see on on screen, on television and movies. We want to see real life happening. You know, I don't want to see something perfect and glossy and pre-planned. And so... You know, I, I hope that maybe that gives you some solace and some, you know what I mean, some calm in going <laughs> like, oh, this doesn't have to be what I think is perfect because 99% of the time they're not looking for that. They're for not looking sure. for that. I mean, there's a reason why, like, you'll be scrolling on Instagram and they'll be like, look at this scene where Ross from Friends went off script and everyone just went along with it. And it was so cool. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you know, look, I'm not saying improvise and yeah. just rewrite the scene. You know, yeah. I'm also a writer. I've been writing a lot. And and so I know how painstaking that process is in choosing the words and choosing the story and choosing the characters and the relationships. And I understand that process and how difficult and torturous that can be so i'm not advocating for just going off script use the script but you know if you i sent in a tape recently for something and in the middle of it was a very long one long scene it was about five and a half pages it was long and in the middle of it i just couldn't think of the line and i thought to myself Oh, we're going to have to stop. And I didn't stop. I just kind of held my position and thought of it and then got right back into it. And we finished. And I said to my friend who I do all my tapes with, I was like, we're going to have to, you know, we have to do it again. I stopped. We watched it. It was beautiful. It w- fit perfectly within the character, the circumstances, the scene. We sent it in. I almost got the role. I went yes. to producers. It was between me and two other people. I didn't get it, but I got close. You know what I mean? We sent in that take with the pause because it was, it ultimately became funny. (laughs) So you just, you never know, you know, give yourself a break and do the best you can do. And, you know, I recently had an audition for another thing. I was very lucky. Again, I went to producers. I almost got, it was a very big role. 
on a major brand new thing coming out, HBO thing, high status project, right? Something I really wanted. Um, and it was a live Zoom. And I was like, okay. But again, it was like seven pages of a lot of police jargon. And I'm a big memorizer. I'm a big like, do not hold the paper on a soft tape. Memorize, memorize, memorize. I was like, you know what? I just got this at 4 p.m. on the afternoon before a very, very early morning live Zoom. It was actually a 6.50 a.m. appointment because I'm in Los Angeles and this is a New York casting director. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to hold the papers. I'm going to hold the papers under, you know, under the frame of the camera so they don't see the papers. But I looked down, glanced down, and it actually helped me calm down. Because I think too sometimes, or at least for me, I know for myself, when I'm trying to be word perfect, I just sometimes become a person who's spitting out word perfect. I am spitting out all the words because I have to do them instead of letting them live and breathe in, in the scene. So, you know, I think, I don't know how we got off on this tangent, but <laughs> I think that, you know, you have to know yourself and how you best operate as yourself and everyone is different that's what's so wonderful about actors and singers and dancers and artists is that we're all so unique and so different so what works for me is not going to work for you necessarily absolutely i totally agree i love everything you've said i rarely pass on auditioning for things but i do sometimes and it's only because i if i know that i don't want to do this job you know, and it could be a big job and it could be a job that could be a long job, but it's like, man, if I know I'm going to be unhappy doing this, I'm just not going to do the audition. I don't waste anybody's time. I don't say like, well, let me just go because the casting director doesn't know me. No, because I don't want to burn that bridge and then say, you got a callback or you got the job and then go, I don't want this job. So I think, you know, being in my 40s and not in my 20s. And I've been doing this for a very long time. I made my Broadway debut when I was 24. And I was working before that. I was on the national tour of Phantom of the Opera when I was 22. So I've been doing this for a long time, but I think getting to know yourself and what you need as a person, even above and beyond what you need as an actor and an artist, but what you need as a person, to mentally survive the business and to do your best work is so important. And for me, it was something that came with age and life experience. But if it's something you can gain in your 20s, I feel like that is one of the most beneficial things you could know as an actor. You know, how how can I take care of myself as an actor and an artist? Because it's a crazy ride. You can be walking a red carpet one day and two weeks later, having a conversation with your representation about how they can't get you in auditions, nobody wants to see you. You know, it can be that. So, you know, how do you take care of yourself in those moments? It's very, very important. Totally. So you hinted at it, but I'd love to hear how you got into acting. Oh my God, (laughs) I don't even know the answer to that because (laughs) I've been doing it my whole life. I mean, when I was a little kid, I grew up in New Jersey very close to New York, like in Lindhurst, New Jersey, kind of where Giant Stadium is, right next to Giant Stadium. So very close to New York City. And I just, I don't remember a time when I didn't want to be on Broadway. I know that when I was 12, 
My dad took me to see Les Mis because I had a friend playing young Cosette. He had never seen a Broadway show. So it was his first Broadway show. It was my first Broadway show. My parents didn't care about Broadway. They didn't know about Broadway. I took my dad to see his first Broadway show and it was Les Mis. And I just, that was what I wanted to do. And so I just pursued it. I was very lucky to have extremely supportive parents in my town, extremely above and beyond supportive teachers, above and beyond. In this little blue collar town at a high school that focused on athletics, I had an incredible band music teacher. I had an incredible drama teacher. I had an English teacher who every weekend would go to the city and see two Broadway shows. And then on Monday, I would stay after school and talk to her for an hour about the show she saw and she would explain them all to me. You know, I had these incredible teachers that saw maybe talent in me or at least passion for sure in this little kid. And they took the time to cultivate that. So that's really how I got started. It was support and confidence. Um, you know, my dad told me I was the best singer in the world Aww. when I was a little kid. He never told me I was bad. He told me I was the best. We would hear a commercial. I used to sing when I was in high school. One of my big songs was This Is The Moment from Jekyll and Hyde. And the commercial for the Broadway show would come on and he would go, you sound better than that guy. <laughs> you know, so I had seven callbacks for rent when I was in, when I just was finishing NYU. I had seven callbacks over three months. I never got it. I never got it. He would say, you're, it's because you're too good for that show. You know what I mean? Like that was my dad. So now here I am in my forties. I still believe these things, <laughs> you know, and it's, and there's a fine line between confidence and ego. And I know that. And I try not to have an ego, but I certainly have confidence. And any successful actor, any actor that you see that you relate to or respond to, you have to have confidence. You have to have confidence just to walk into that audition room and say, hi, how are you today? That is so important. Confidence is everything. Confidence is everything. So I'm lucky I got that when I was a kid. And so that's how I started. I wanted to be on Broadway. I would take the PATH train into New York when I was 15 years old by myself from New Jersey and just walk around the Broadway theaters on a Saturday afternoon. And I would watch the actors go in the stage door. And I would think, oh my God, that guy's in the show. He's wearing a show jacket. They used to wear show jackets back then. He's wearing a show jacket. He must be in the show. Or that guy's wearing an apron with combs and scissors. Oh, he must be a hair person. Wow. They get to go in the stage door. It was magic to me. It was magical. And I wanted to be a part of it. And to this day, when I look back and think I did seven Broadway shows, that is just, you know, to be able to say to you, I played Tenardier on the national tour of Les Mis, my dream show. The reason why I'm in show business at all is because of that show and I got to do it, I would look at myself in the costume and the makeup and the wig and the hat and I would go, oh my God, I'm Tenardier. I'm, <laughs> I'm freaking Tenardier. I can't, I can't believe this happened. So I don't know. I'm, I am one of those people that say dreams come true. And if you want to do it, you can do it. You'll find a way. It is extremely difficult. There are a lot of hard, hard times 
There are a lot of hard days. There are a lot of hard weeks. There are a lot of hard years. But if you want to be in the business, you can be in the business. There is room for everyone, regardless of what you look like or where you come from. That is the most beautiful thing. And it's getting better and more inclusive for more people. Thank God. It's uh, embarrassing that it's taken this long. Now, I had Norm Lewis on my podcast, the first African-American man to play the Phantom and the Phantom of the Opera. And it was in like 2014 or 2015. Why did it take so long? I'm sorry. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Robert Guillaume, who's an African-American man who had passed away, he played the Phantom in Los Angeles, I think in the 90s, maybe the late 80s, early 90s. Okay. But Broadway, why did it take so long? So I'm thrilled that things are changing. I'm an advocate and an ally for those things. And uh, I, I wish that it was in 2021. I wish that it was much, much earlier for everyone because theater particularly has always been a, a place of inclusivity, at least for gay people. You know, not so much for people of color as we have learned and we've pulled back the curtain and saw that, but for gay people, it was a haven for gay people to come and feel accepted. You know, I'm sure in the 60s and 70s and 80s, when, they, when gay people were being persecuted and thrown out of bars and their names were being printed on the front page of the New York Times, you know, I could go on and on. But I, I am a big proponent of saying, if you have a dream to be in show business, to be in theater, to be in television, film, commercials, voiceovers, podcasting, you can do it. You can do it. It's available to you but you have to put in the work. I completely agree. How do you prevent the actor burnout that we all get sometimes? It's very hard. And the pandemic, I think, which is so odd because you would think the pandemic in being in a lockdown and being home, you know, I didn't leave my house for four months because LA was having 20,000 cases a day, just Los Angeles. We were the epicenter of the pandemic in the world in December and January, and I was not going to get COVID. So I'm a little overweight, I have diabetes, I'm 45, I'm not getting COVID. So I did not go into the house. I am very, very lucky, extremely lucky that I am in a position where I didn't have to go out of my house, where I could go to a grocery store and have people bring the groceries out to the car, where I don't have to go to work right now. There are many people, many of whom live in my community here in Los Angeles that have to work, had to go to work, got COVID, survived, thank God, or didn't horribly. But I know I'm very lucky to be able to say to you, I didn't leave my house for four months. So you would think that would regenerate you and be like, well, there's no burnout now because I haven't been doing it really. You know what I mean? Um, they were, for a while, the whole business shut down. There was no TV and film. There was no commercials. There was nothing. You know, how could I be, re how could I be burned out? For a lot of people, the pandemic has made it worse mentally. And, and what's interesting is the coming out of the pandemic now, we're seeing that people are even more depressed sometimes. <laughs> but a lot of people are not like, joyous and ripping off their masks and doing pirouettes down Ninth Avenue, they're in fact going, I still don't feel comfortable coming out of the house. Or, wow, during the pandemic, I thought, well, when this is over, all these things will now happen. And now it's kind of over and still nothing's happening. So there's a lot to unpack 
with the pandemic. Uh, and I, I, I don't have a good answer to your question of how to prevent burnout because you get burned out. I get more burned out mentally than I do from the art of it. I love acting. I love it. So when I have auditions and jobs, I get to act. And that to me is regenerative. It means that I'm acting. I'm an artist. It's fun. It's so creative. I get to create something, even if it's just for an audition. The burnout comes for me from the hustle of the business, of which I'm very good at. And you have to be good at. And you have to know the players and you have to know the agents and you have to know the managers and you have to know the landscape of the Broadway business, the television business, the movie business, the commercial business, the voiceover business, right? All businesses that I work in. You have to know those landscapes and those players and those people. That's exhausting to me. All I wanna do is work and act and be an artist. But as an actor today, you're a business person and in Los Angeles, I will say you're a business person first and you're an actor second. In New York, for me, it felt like I was an actor first and then a business person. However, I was 24. I spent all of my 20s and into 35 years old in New York. So that could just be an age thing where now I'm just older, wiser, and more of a hustler. I don't know. But... <laughs> I miss the days of just worrying about acting. You know, I miss the days of having a Broadway show to go to and work. And I didn't worry about anything else. I wasn't worried about getting on television. I didn't really have dreams of being on television. So as your dreams change, the business changes for you because you have to figure out different ways to get where you want to go. And that involves different people and different kinds of work. I love what you said about how it's not like you get burned out from acting. You get burned out no. from the things that come with the acting, like the mindset yes. and the business. Yes, the auditions and the casting and the producers and the directors. And you're going to have a callback and you're going to have a work session and you're going to have a this and a live Zoom and a self-tape. And it, that burns me out. Not here's, you know, here's a three page single space monologue. Oh my God, what a gift, fantastic. I can't wait to lock myself in a room and work on this for hours. How fun. That is the fun. So that for me is not the burnout, it's the business. It's interesting because like when you are a kid or not a kid and you have a dream to be an actor, you're not like, oh, I can't wait to like get into the business of it. No one ever feels that way. It's always, it's no. always the actual acting. Yeah. yeah, you know, I have a friend who went to acting school and now he's a casting director. Yeah. And even though he went to musical theater college, he always knew he wanted to be a casting director. And he's a great casting director and he's very successful in New York casting director. But so he loves the business of it and he goes to dinners and he makes relationships and, you know, that's great. But as an actor, you have to be a business and that's difficult and takes work. Yeah. Takes work. It's tough. I totally agree. Um, so you are great at being comedic in 
some dramatic shows, which is kind of cool. Um, oh. So I'd love for you to speak on that. Like, for example, in Grey's Anatomy, it's a very serious situation where yes. your friend's hand is almost cut off and you're the comedic relief of that whole thing. And same with Black yes. Monday when it's like, it's a crazy scene, but for some reason you want to laugh because you're like, what is going on here? Um, yes, so yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, that's a great observation. Thank you for, for saying that. The greatest comedy comes out of the greatest pain. So comedy and drama, comedy is much more hard than drama, much more difficult, I think, to do than drama. I always, and I think all good actors do this, just try to bring elements of myself to every character because that's how the character is gonna become grounded and real and not a made up cartoon. You know, an element that I have, I think as myself is, or are very comedic elements. I'm just a funny person. I grew up in a very loud, big Italian home in New Jersey. I carry those things with me into my work, you know, but, I have mostly done comedy, but one of the most favorite things that I did was a pilot with Dennis Leary that's called Erase that no one will ever see because it was never put to television. It was never put on the air. It was just a pilot. Unfortunately, it didn't go. But I have a couple great scenes with Dennis Leary and they're not funny. There's funny moments in them because I'm still me. So I still am reacting in ways truthfully that the audience might read as comedic, but they weren't comedic to me. I had a gun to my head. So it's just very interesting. It's kind of, you know, I'm never, you know, specifically in Grey's Anatomy, what I think is comedic about it is the urgency in which I'm trying to help my brother because he got his hand caught in a meat grinder and the urgency of that. And we got to get the thing stat you know, whatever. And, and it's funny, but to me, the actor and the character in the scene, it's not funny. I got to save my brother. Now I might be doing that in a neurotic kind of panicked way, which reads comedic, but, you know, playing the truth of the scene is number one paramount thing to do. And then if you can find comedy in anything, you know, even in Les Mis, I'm the comedic relief of Les Mis. Thank God there's comedic relief in Les Mis. Or else you'd just be sitting there for three hours watching people die. Everybody dies. Some people die quickly, Fontaine. Some people die over the course of three hours, Jean Valjean. The Tenardiers do not die. The Tenardiers stay alive, but they're the comedic, thank God. You know, because even in our toughest, moments there is room for laughing there's room for comedy there's room for levity there's room for joy even in those horrible moments and so that is just really bringing truth to the scenes and the stories that might be devastating to go back to les mis it's a devastating story but you know there has to be moments of comedy in it or else we're just gonna slog out of the theater after three hours going like, what did we just watch? <laughs> oh my God, everybody's dead. And oh, the kids are dead and the girl is dead and the guy is. So I think having the ability to find a moment 
even in a dramatic scene where there's joy, is really important. I'd love to hear about how you break down scenes in general. Like, what's the first thing you do when you get a script? Oh, it's such a good question. Well, obviously, the first thing I do is read the scene. <laughs> I obviously just read the scene. And I probably read the scene 10 times. And this might sound really dumb, but I make sure to read the other person's lines in the scene. I know that sounds so dumb, but we're always as actors so focused on our part. How big is our part? How many lines do we have? What are we doing in the scene? But I like to step into the other character in the scene and see what they're doing and see what they want and read their lines. So I'll read the scene multiple, multiple times, 10 times, the entire scene, not just my lines. And I'm talking about television because that's mostly what I'm auditioning for these days. Make sure to read the action lines over and over and over again. And don't miss anything. If it says he picks up a glass, think about why. Why is he picking up the glass? Is he thirsty? Why is he thirsty? Are there, is there something happening in the beginning of the scene that I missed? Look for all of the clues in a script that is going to inform you as to who your character is, what they're doing, what they want, and why they're in the scene. If there are multiple scenes that they give you for an audition, you want to figure out why they gave you these scenes. For the live Zoom audition that I spoke about earlier, I got two scenes. One of them was with a guy that I already knew, so it was a lot more friendly and casual. The second one, I was interrogating somebody. So I said, okay, I know off the bat, they want to see friendly, guy, personable. Second scene, they want to see direct, by the book, cop. You have to show those colors. It's like auditioning for musical theater. This role does this, this, and this. I have to come in and show you I can do this, this, and this. So make sure that you are creating the checklist that's going to help you get the job. And then check those boxes. Why are they giving you these scenes? What do I have to achieve in these scenes? How do I achieve it? Then I use the Run Lines app. Do you know that app? Run yes. Lines with me app? Yeah. And I memorize, 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 and then memorize again. I am a memorizer. I think everybody should be memorized. I think if you can't memorize, you shouldn't be an actor because if you get the job, you're gonna to have to memorize. And if you're auditioning for series regulars or recurring guest stars, you're gonna to have to memorize all the time. Week after week after week, pages after pages after pages and rewrites and pages. So memorize. The more auditions I have, the more uh, I can memorize quicker and easier. And then I really start to look at what these characters want and who they are and start to create that and make choices. Do not think about what they want me to be. Think about what I think this is. And frequently it will be the first thing that I think of. I'm not going to sit there and go, it could be this, it could be that. You know, I auditioned for a movie uh, two weeks ago, smaller role. He was just, it didn't say anything about the character. He was in office. He was like a concierge at a hotel. It was two little scenes, but it's a big movie with big stars in it. And the scene would have, the scenes would have been with the big stars. Like, okay, great. I made him very gay. 
and very officious and very buttoned up and very, very uh, nervous. It didn't say in the script to do that, but I thought, well, that's what I want to do. I could have made him uh, dumb and uh, slow and, uh, you know, that guy. Okay, sure, sir. If you just give me a minute and maybe a little New York. But I chose to make him this guy who was just frantic. And I can't believe this and get out of my lobby. I could have made him anything. I could have also sent in 20 different takes of 20 different characters. I chose the character that lit me up the most. What lights you up? What makes you excited to send in your tape? How many times have you done an audition and finished and go, oh my God, I'm so excited. You have to be excited. So figure out what makes you excited. Stop worrying about what you think they want. Half the time, more than half the time, they don't know what they want. There are things you have to achieve given the information you're given in the scene. There are things you have to achieve. There are things you have to show you can do given the information you get in the text. And in the action, television, very important, the action lines. But other than that, create something. Show them what an artist you are. Don't just regurgitate text. because Nobody cares about that. They want to see, they want you to elevate their material. And that means you have to take a risk and stop worrying about what you think they might want. They don't know. They're gonna look at you and go, wow, that's a choice. Now you still might not be the choice. The hard thing about acting, which is what I talk to my friends about a lot and students I work with as a coach is they're not always gonna pick the best person for television shows. Theater is different. Theater, my experience, my opinion, talent rises to the top quicker. You go, that guy is incredible. We'll put him in a fat suit. We'll put him in a wig. He's incredible. You can mask people in theater to fit the look of your show if they're incredible. Television, you can't do that. It's so much about what you look like. I look at this guy and this is what he looks like. Bull in a frame. So you still in television have to be the best one auditioning. You have to be the best, but you still are probably not gonna get the job if you're not right. So it's very difficult, very, very difficult. It's tough, it's a fine line. Yeah. So I wanna talk about your podcast, Baby Mouth, cause I love it and it's such a oh. fun concept. So I'd love to hear a little bit about it in your words and what made you wanna start it and just all that fun stuff. I'm so glad you enjoy it, thank it's you. It's so fun. <laughs> oh, thanks, I have a good time doing it. You know, I got home from the tour in March of 2020 because of COVID. They closed the tour and I was like, what am I gonna do? I am so bored. You know, I got real bored. And look, there's a zillion podcasts in the world, but I thought, look, this is something you can do that does not cost you a lot of money. And I have a lot of very interesting friends that will do the podcast and I literally at that time had eaten about 12 foods. So I thought, <laughs> let me have a guess. This will be great for me. It'll be a personal growth podcast experience for me. Let me have people come on and I'll eat foods I've never eaten before with them. And we'll call it Baby Mouth. And I hired my friend from Les Mis, who's an incredible um, cartoonist, animator, to draw the Baby Mouth 
podcast, create that artwork. I said, I want to look like a baby on it with a bonnet, (laughs) all the food surrounding me that I've never eaten. And I hired my friend, Jesse Vargas to uh, record the theme song and orchestrate it. And and I recorded it with him and I wrote some of it and he wrote some of it. We co-wrote the theme song. And I was like, let's just give this a try. And it's been awesome. We did 24 episodes in a row for season one. And I was like, I'm going to take the summer off because I'm exhausted. It is so, as you know, it is a lot of work. It is. Yeah. And I do it all myself. I don't have a network. I don't have a producer. It's you me. And me both. It's <laughs> yep. me, baby. It's us. So it's <laughs> like, you know, I'm getting the guests. I'm editing the podcast. I'm getting the food. It's, and then I have to call my mom, who's wonderful and kind of the star of my podcast that everybody loves. Then I got to call her, getting her on Zoom. You know, I had to send her headphones. You know, she doesn't know how to work the phone. So it's a whole thing. Um, I've probably been off about a month. We're going to start up again August 17th. And I've already got some incredible guests booked for season two, which is really fun. Um, I was lucky that Rosie O'Donnell said she would do the first episode for season one. Yeah, so she did the first episode. And I had Melissa Romero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine was on. Um, I've had incredible, just so lucky to have such incredible people on. Yeah, we're going to get better guests, even, well, not better, but other guests for season two. New guests, thank you. (laughs) Not better. Nobody's really better no. or worse. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to keep going. And and it's it's been downloaded in 80 countries, which is incredible. And you know, we'll keep on we'll keep on trucking. Um, it's been really fun to try these foods, most of which I have enjoyed. <laughs> so, what's your favorite thing Some, that you've eaten? <laughs> I think pad thai. I is love delicious. pad thai. That's great. I never had it. I thought it was soup. <laughs> I thought it was like a scary soup. It sounds like a soup, it. yeah. But it's delish. <laughs> and then I had boba. Yes. Delish. Now I have diabetes, so boba <laughs> I can't really have. I'll yeah. probably never have it again, but I wish I could because it was delish. Yeah. I love that boba. Um, pastrami sandwich. I never had one. Really? You're from New York. No, I know. It's New Jersey. So good. Yeah. Um, so those have been, and then the, my least favorites are like sardines, oysters, and beans. Ooh, yeah. Were just the worst. That doesn't sound I so think good. sardine was the worst. <laughs> Because they actually had scales on them. Oh, no. It's, they're awful. So, but it's been a really great journey, really fun. It's fun to have people on and tasting the food is really fun. It's a good way to force me to just do it. But I had a good, I'm having a good time doing it. That's great. Yeah, I'll link yeah. it in the description so everyone can listen. Yes, please, Baby Mouth, wherever you get your podcast. Yes. And there's 24 amazing episodes on there right now, and there are going to be more happening on season two starting August 17th. Yes, I will link it. So I'd love to hear what you would have told yourself when you were starting out. Oh, my God, it's such a funny question. Because my comedic self wants to go do anything but acting. (laughs) But I think, no, I know, that's not true. Uh, what I said about acting is true. Anybody can do it. And if you want to do it, you should do it. I don't, you know, it's so funny because when I think of myself as a younger person, like when I was 12, I was a certain kind of kid. When I was 24, I was a certain kind of guy. I would, I don't have anything to tell myself. 
I have done this exactly the way that I've wanted to do it. You know, I moved to Los Angeles in 2011 after doing seven Broadway shows in 11 years in New York. So I actually gave up a lot in a way from moving. I gave up a lot of my friends. I gave up being really in the Broadway community every day. I gave up New York, living in New York, but my God, I moved out to LA and I gained the love of my life. We've been together for six and a half years. I adopted an incredible rescue dog who's 90 pounds and the love of my life. I rescued her from a shelter. She's the love of my life. I live in a house in beautiful Los Angeles with a yard and flowers and hummingbirds and butterflies. And I have a car and I don't have to schlep my groceries down 8th Avenue and up three flights. And I have a television career that I love. And I love show business in LA. It is so different than New York. And there's so many, in so many bad ways and in so many good ways. Um, And I love that I get to come and work in New York and do television shows in New York and do Les Mis. And I did the Music Man at the Kennedy Center with Norm Lewis and Jesse Mueller and Rosie O'Donnell, so much fun. So I don't have anything I would tell my younger self. And I hope that doesn't come off as like, wow, my life is so perfect because it's not at all what I'm saying. I feel like I had a great childhood and I wasn't a kid who was like, I don't know, I didn't make any wild career decisions or, I was very lucky. I was usually always working on Broadway or in theater somewhere. I was always working. And uh, I never had a doubt that I was going to do that. So I wouldn't even say to my younger self, like, it's okay, you're going to make it. I already knew I was going to do it. I knew (laughs) at 10 years old, I was going to do it. I was not going to stop until I did it. Uh, I'm lucky it happened so early. But if you were talking to me today, and here I am in my 40s, and I'm, I would say to you, I'm still trying to get a Broadway show because that's what I want to do. There's nothing else I want to do but act. So it's weird because I've heard other, many other people answer that question and they answer it so beautifully, but I don't have an answer. I, I, I don't have anything to tell my younger self. My younger self was wonderful. I was having a great time. Jimmy, you got me tearing up a little bit, I won't lie. Oh, no! It's beautiful. you're so young yourself. No, I know. What would you tell tell your younger self? So I was actually asked, because I did a collab with Juan Ayala, who does Actors with Issues, and he asked me that. Well, he asked me something very similar, and I actually Mm -hmm. said the same thing you said, for a different reason, though. I think I was told everything I needed to know, it just didn't yes. really stick in there until I learned it myself. So that's that's what I would have told myself. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm in the same boat as you, but for a different reason. <laughs> yeah, I was very lucky. I mean, I played instruments in high school. Like I said, I had so many supportive people around me. I mean, I, I had a great childhood. I had a great upbringing. And I had a great time at NYU. It was very difficult. I didn't know a lot of things when I got to NYU at all. The first musical I ever did was at NYU. So I didn't know a lot of things, but I learned them quickly. And I had tough teachers, but they were really, really, really good teachers, really good teachers. Most of them were working Broadway professionals that then taught at NYU. And then I started working right away and I was, you know, welcomed into the community 
I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of negative things to say. I've been very, very lucky and I'm very, very happy in my life, even with the pandemic. Thank God it's over because it was a rough time. But, you know, it feels like it's over-ish. And I'm so thrilled. I can't wait to go see a Broadway show. I hope everyone listening will go see a Broadway show. I can't wait. I wish I could be at one of the very first shows because I just, I love it so much. And um, I'm just glad we got through this difficult time. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening. Feel free to follow the podcast on Facebook or Instagram at Dear Actor Podcast. And feel free to email us with any questions, guests you'd like to have on the show, or anything else at dearactorpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next week with our next guest. But until then, have a great week.